Hey guys, what's up? It is week 73. I got some reviews for you. I even have a contest for you, which is pretty cool, but uh, I'll talk about that a little later when I get past a lot of this stuff. Uh, first and foremost, I wanted to open this up with telling you right now, I am at Cinema Wasteland. If you guys don't know, I shoot these pretty much a week ahead of time. I usually uh, record them in mid-Sunday because I need time to edit and get everything situated and make sure there's no bugs or problems going to be on YouTube. So I am at Cinema Wasteland right now. If you're going to go, it's in Strongsville, Ohio. I'll be there Friday, Saturday, and a little bit Sunday. Come up and say hi. We can uh, talk about movies and uh, whatnot. Whatever, you know. Uh, I also wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a novel that's called uh, Franken... Uh, Fatel, uh, like Femme Fatel, but Franken Fatel, um, by H.J. Uh, Bennett, I believe is the name. Um, it's a, She sent me a, um, a PDF to check it out, and uh, I haven't had a chance to check it out, but uh, it looked pretty interesting. There'll be a link below in the description box uh, to check it out on Facebook, see if you like it. I, I uh, read the prologue, and I like what she had to say on that. I started reading a little bit of it, and I saw like um, a lot of language, like the character's like head, and I always found that kind of strange. Like even in Jack Ketchum, which I enjoy, there's always like harsh language, like in it, it's like and then he grabbed the fucking thing, and I always I always hated that. If the character's dialogue's in there, I'm fine with it, but I, I really haven't started to read it, so I don't know how I'm gonna dig it or what what. But it sounded interesting, and I liked where the person seemed to be coming from with the story. So uh, that's Frank and Fatal. So uh, there'll be a link below if you want to check it out. Oh, that's a mouthful right there, right off the bat. Sorry, I'm a. It was uh, usually Saturdays. I. I eat like a lot. I do cheat days, eat what I want, so I'm always dehydrated on Saturdays. I tend to always be dehydrated no matter how much water I drink, but okay. Uh, let's start out with uh, one from Severn Films, um, Anthropophagus, uh, the video nasty by Joe D'Amato. Uh, not his real name, but his real name is even harder to say than Joe D'Amato, which is pretty easy for once for me. But uh, Anthropophagus, yeah, I'd seen this uh, probably when the Shriek Show DVD came out years ago. It was always on my radar back then, and uh, AK the Grim Reaper has a bunch of names. Um, Anthropophagus is uh, infamous for like two of the most iconic, gratuitous horror scenes. Uh, graphic horse scenes in like uh, film history to be honest in Italian film history they're pretty grotesque but besides that I always felt the movie was rather slow and kind of dull uh, but watching it this time around I had a much uh, newer found appreciation for it maybe because Severin Films did such a great job with how it looked and but maybe I'm just grown older and I'm more uh, patient uh, I don't know if that's the case but uh, more mature in my horror viewing um, Joe D'Amato was a cinematographer on a lot of bigger films. He was also a producer. He worked on dozens and dozens of horror films and uh, erotica and hardcore porn later on in his career. He died uh, fairly young in uh, 1999 at, uh, in his early 60s, I believe. He was one of the first maestros to go, um, besides Lucio Fulci, of course. But uh, Joe D'Amato had a very good eye. And he was very good at making things cheap, similar to Jess Franco. Um, although I do believe Joe D'Amato made some better movies, like Beyond the Darkness and whatnot. But Joe D'Amato uh, had a great eye. And um, Anthropophagus follows a story of a man played by George Eastman, tons of stuff, also wrote this movie, um, who gets stranded on a boat with his family and has to eat them to survive. And he goes and crazy, ends up crashing on this Greek island where he's from, getting back to his island, and killing all the inhabitants. And uh, these tourists come around, and they don't know, unfortunately, that George Eastman's still there, and he's hulking, and he's big, and he's crazy, and he's hungry as hell. So that's the basic plot of this. Um, it's really good how they do the isolation on the island. It's a beautiful location. It's always great. These Greek islands are great. Uh, known, you know, Nico Mascarakis would use Greek islands a lot, Island of the Death and stuff like that. And I always appreciate that. The Greek islands that they use in these movies are always tremendous looking, and it always adds uh, a lot of, um, you know, um, wonderful things to a low-budget movie. So uh, he knew how to shoot it. He, he captured the gloomy, rainy feel very well with the cinematography. It's a slow burn, so there's a lot of sense of dread. There's some good camera work. Uh, there's a point where all the characters are looking for one of the missing uh, people, a pregnant woman. Of, of course, you see the pregnant woman, and you think, here we go again. Like, um, like texture some Master Guy in a wheelchair or Friday 13 Part 2. You're like, this person, this poor person in this horrible situation is going to get the worst of it. And, of course, it's going to be exploitative of a person who's already at a disadvantage in a situation like this. Um, so... Of course, uh, there's a group looking for the pregnant woman who uh, they, has gone missing, and they're in the foreground, and in the, I'm in the background, kind of walking around, and uh, 
at one point, uh, the camera starts to shift a little bit as they kind of uh, get out of focus, and we see that uh, the feet of the pregnant woman, and they start to get drug away. And that's just a beautiful scene right there. You're like, that's really well done. There's a great scene in here where Tisa Farrow from Zombie Fame, another video nasty, is walking around the house with like a candle, and it, it's lit really perfectly and shot really well. That's not easy to do. Um, and, uh, of course, there's some, another familiar face for exploitation and video nasty fans. Uh, the woman who is in Cannibal Ferox, I mispronounce her name, so I'm not going to say it. Uh, she's like a tarot, uh, tarot, I can't say that, uh, tarot, um, tarot, tarot, the, the crazy spiritual card thing reader in this, enthusiast, and that plays into the supernatural element a little bit. It's kind of kind of a weak part of the movie. But like I said, besides like those moments of gratuitous gore that this movie is known for, it does have a good sense of like dread. It has a nice sense of dread, and the music reminds me of like, uh, you know, that uh, burial ground, uh, Knights of Terror by... Uh, uh, I believe that's a Bruno Mattel. No, that's a um, Andrea Biaki movie. Yeah, but <clears throat> it kind of reminds me of that, that just bizarre kind of music in that one. And it even has that kind of tone to it to a certain extent, just less silly. Eastman's great in it. He's scary as shit. Um, the dubbing in this movie is pretty poor. And Eastman doesn't talk much because he, he's a big monster and he looks great. And he, he's just a big presence and he does a, a very good job. Um, so he has the best performance because he's not, he doesn't really talk because the dubbing in this movie is a little weak. Uh, it, like I said, it is a tad slow, but I, I've seen some, uh, better things in this than I normally do. And I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, the, as for the features on here, I, I, um, the absurd and the anthropophagus features kind of bleed together a little bit because they're about the similar subject and similar sequels and whatnot. This has an interview with George Eastman, also the film's writer, and he talks about how he kind of dislikes the movie. He's like, it's not very good. We saw it in theaters and that's pretty much it. Uh, we have an actor with the, the interview with the lead actor in here. That one's decent as well. Uh, the special effects artist was interesting and the editor was interesting. We also have a, a, a um, interview with uh, Zora Kurova. Um, that's the lady who plays from Cannibal Ferox. And all these people talk about uh, Joe D'Amato and they paint this picture of a fun-loving guy who is good at his job. And they're joking like, hey man, it's like, why are we being paid for this? I really like the uh, editor and special effects um, guy. The special effects guy seemed to be good friends with them. And, and a lot of these people will never be interviewed again for a dime, or they never have been interviewed. It's interesting. They paint a picture of Joe D'Amato as kind of almost like a sad case, like a guy who never quite lived up to his potential that he had. He kind of settled into that comfortability of making money and making movies because he loved to make movies. And I really like seeing that. And uh, it has a, I have a lot of admiration for the guy. And uh, I enjoyed seeing this it looked damn great um the gut munching <laughs> the infamous gut munching at the end still has an impact um and i love the special effects really are just they went down to the butcher shop and get, said give me a skin rabbit this will double as a fetus and stuff like that you know it's low budget filmmaking at its uh, italian finest and i really like this release and uh they're checking off the video nasties at severin you got emmanuel and the last cannibals um and this and uh the next one coming up is another video nasty so i, I love what severin's doing and uh somebody's got to do it and i'm glad severin doing it. questa cosa, beh c'è un sacco di imbecilli in giro, non è che, non è che c'è bisogno. Era un ruolo da protagonista e si sa, tutti gli attori piace essere protagonista e non ridevamo dietro il primo. Mamma mia, dico ma che? Come sono il potello dei cose? Mi prestavo molto bene perché stavo talmente male che sembrava che vedessi delle tragedie perché ero io che stavo male. You're supposed to keep your mind active, not obsessed. Dovresti tenere la mente sempre attiva, cara. Era Aristide. Aristide era unico. Era un personaggio unico. This is the conclusion. Per me la scuola di Aristide è stata più che essenziale, importantissima.
Okay, guys, the next one is absurd, aka a horrible, aka Anthropophagus 2, aka the Grim Reaper 2. You, can, you can't have one without the other. This is the spiritual sequel to Anthropophagus, not an exact sequel. It doesn't, has George Eastman, he's in it. He's the writer again in this one. It's directed by Joe Diamato, and uh, it has a, a mad killer running around. That's pretty much where the similarities end. He is a Greek character. So we got that. Uh, this is pretty much a Halloween ripoff. Uh, we have this uh, uh, priest chasing uh, George Eastman through the streets. He, George Eastman tries to hop this gate. He disembowels himself. He ends up in an emergency uh, um, surgery. And the doctors are commenting, I'm surprised this guy's going to pull through. But he has this. He's, he's starting to heal. He has a weird regenerative power, which is very confusing and baffling and ends up being very terrifying. Uh, this uh, kind of grouchy cop who's like the most stereotypical cop. He's like, I'm about to retire. Uh, you know, the typical... I'm getting too old for this shit, Danny Glover stuff, um, which is actually before Lethal Weapon, but it's always been a trope. But um, so basically, he's a grouchy cop, and uh, he starts to stumble on that uh, the priest who he bumped into is also from Greece, and this guy's from Greece, and he's like, huh, there's a connection. So he uh, kind of starts to interrogate this priest. Well, he's not; they don't know he's a priest. They find out he's a priest, and it's up to him and the priest to stop George Eastman because, of course, he regenerated by this time. Kill the nurse with a power drill in graphic detail, and he's out and about. He starts to set his eyes on this poor babysitter and the kid she's babysitting, one of which is paralyzed. And that's the basic plot of this movie. It's a Halloween ripoff, but uh, it has some decent suspense. There's a scene in here where the paralyzed girl, you know, has to fight her disability, and she's like kind of on the, the side where she may not be completely paralyzed. There's a hope, there's a chance, and she has to fight her disability to save her own life and her brother's. I kind of like that little story arc in there. There is a, a hilarious scene in here because it's happening during the Super Bowl. And uh, it's an Italian movie, of course, so it's trying to be really American to drive that home for people who are watching this. They're like, is this American? I'm not sure. And they never really fool anyone because there's a, a point in the movie where this this horrible guy is a hit and run and he uh, doesn't tell anyone about it. He's the father of the kids. He goes to the Super Bowl party, and like everybody, when you go to a Super Bowl party to watch Americana football, um, you um, um, you wear a nice suit and you eat spaghetti. That's what they do in this, and I'm like, come on, guys. That's not what Americans typically do, is these doctors in nice suits eating spaghetti. It's just like... That's, come on. Like, I don't even know if that's what they do in Italy when they watch, like, soccer. But it, it just is like, that's not an American thing to do. And you know it's not. you got to. But it cracked me up. And also, his interesting point is the guy who did the hit and run, if he would have stopped, he um, hit Eastman. He would have went to go check if he's okay. And he would have been mangled. So, basically, he's kind of rewarded for not doing the right thing. Hey, but uh, this movie really stands out in score effects. And uh, there's a couple really graphic ones, one including Annie Bell. And uh, when the people are killed, when they actually show it, half of them are shown, half are kind of off screen. I feel bad for the people. They're so bad. Like, they're so graphic. Like, there's this poor mechanic. There's a biker played by Michele Suave, um, um, who's a famous director and worked with Dario and a bunch of other people. And then there's the poor Annie Bell, and that part's just graphic. And it's, it's a fairly brutal movie. Um, I remember the soundtrack being... I, I, it comes with the soundtrack, but I remember it being uh, decent, but I don't remember it being spectacular. I actually prefer Anthropophagus soundtrack, to be honest. And I remember... I, both of the soundtracks are cool, though, but... Yeah, uh, pretty graphic Annie Bell stuff here. But it looks really good, and uh, it has an alternative cut on here, which uh, the shorter were with less gore, I believe. Eastman's solid in it. Um, he's not the same character because he doesn't have the rotting face or whatever. I don't know if you can maybe shoehorn this in as a prequel. I don't think it's possible to really connect him. But, uh, yeah, it, it's fairly enjoyable, like I said. The cop is kind of annoying. Like, he's just such a trite character and uh there's surprisingly a lack of nudity but um especially in a slasher movie like this this one's more of a straightforward slasher while the other one has feelings like a, it's almost like nightmare logic type deal um but the victims like i said there's annie bell who is a very familiar phrase house on the edge of the park and uh the poor mechanic pops up in tons of movies like um what is that monster shark you'll recognize him he he tends to get killed in lots of uh some lumberto bavas and some of these he's in everything he's just one of those he's like a balding guy you'll see him and he he has a horrible demise in this one. One to rival some of the Fulci stuff in, like, City of Living Dead. Um, and, of course, Michele Suave plays a biker in this. Um, there's actually an interview with him on the disc. And if you don't know that uh, uh, Jody Amato basically gave him his start uh, in films. Him And uh, he gave him, uh, you know, uh, produced his first movie to direct it in Stage Fright, which is very cool. 
Uh, there's the interview with Joe D- uh, George Eastman on here as well, and he gets in more depth about uh, Joe D'Amato. And he seems to be actually someone who generally wanted to push him further to do more with his career and was a good friend of his and uh, a real friend, somebody that tells him the truth. And, uh, and there's a point where he gets a little sad, but he gets uh, a little bit more frustrated with how his life turned out and maybe a little bit bitter, not bitter, but sad, you know, kind of like a man, I wish he would have went further. I think he could have. And, you know, I was really sad when he passed away. And that's always so kind of a depressing. It reminds me of when uh, uh, Claudio Fergresso had, uh, they asked him about Bruno Mattea at one point when he started getting to the end when he was talking about when he died and he was like, I stop, I don't want to, and that, that stuff, uh, it's really heartfelt, but uh, you know, there's also, like I said, an interview with Michele Suave and he talks about getting his career started, how he jumped from all these different neo maestros, Joe Mato, Dario Gento, uh, so that's really cool, and uh, there's an archival interview with Joe Amato here, and I loved it, I love seeing that, and uh, he's really candid, he's really friendly, he does it in English, and uh, seems like a very smart guy, he's like, you know, and I, I could sum this whole picture they painted up with Joe D'Amato and these two, these two, uh, all these features between both these movies. And, um, and, and it's right there. He has this quote. I'm going to butcher it. I, I put it in my written reviews, too. There's some written reviews of these on Screaming Toilet. I didn't get the quote exactly right. But um, he says something along the lines of, I am not rich. I, I'm not rich. I, I am not a businessman. I am a filmmaker. I'm a DP. You know, he does this out of the love for film. He loves film. He loves creating. And like I said, he's not one of these jaded, I need to make the money. He's them. I love making film. It's almost like he has to. And I've noticed that with some filmmakers is they may have five, six movies in the can, but they have to keep making. They have to keep creating. It's, it's like a shark. If they stop, they die. And they got to keep going. They got to go forward. And I really, you know, and he talks about doing a porno flicks and he's like, I, you know, they asked for it. So I delivered it. But it's not really like, you know, it's not really what he likes, but he likes to just make movies. And I and it was kind of sad to see that, but it was also really enlightening and whatnot. It, it's a, it's, I love the features on this release. Both these movies are solid uh, video nasties. They're not like the top of the heap. I think Anthropophic is a little better, um, more interesting, I'd say. But they're both pretty good movies. They're, I mean, entertaining enough, but the features are great on there. They look really good. They have subtitles, um, and they both have Italian and English versions on there. Great releases of pretty cool movies to be honest, and uh, uh, long live Joe D'Amato. Okay, guys, the next one here is Forest of the Lost Souls. This is a Portuguese movie, and uh, yeah, I don't know if I've seen too many Portuguese movies, and Wild Eye from Wild Entertainment, getting in the Blu-ray game. Um, so yeah, Wild Eye, you know, their range, their quality will be sometimes really cool for, and stuff like Chocolate Strawberry Vanilla, which I absolutely adore, and then like some like crazy, like super low budget, like 10, like cost $300, stuff that I would make, like, <laughs> or something, uh, $300, and and in the backyard and throw buckets of blood and stuff. But Forest of Lost Souls, this is a black and white, well shot Portuguese movie. And uh, it's really kind of bothersome and darkly humorous at the same time. This is a very short movie. It only runs about 73 minutes. Uh, it kind of it plays on that uh, suicide forest in Japan, but it's not actually there. This is this forest in, uh, well, I imagine Portuguese or Portugal area, Spain area, uh, where people go to kill themselves. And we have this old man. Uh, it opens with this uh, this girl kind of falling in the, this river, in the, like in this big lake inside the, um, the forest and quoting all these, you know, famous people, uh, all these just like kind of depressing quotes. And then we cut to this uh, father who kind of is wandering into the woods, uh, presumably to kill himself. He, he's an older guy. And he bumps into this young girl, and there's definitely this big uh, generation gap between them, and they kind of uh, like get to know each other through kind of poking fun at each other through dialogue. And, and there's some really great lines in here, some that made me laugh out loud. And they talk about in the commentary that it was meant to be funny, because at first I was like, oh, this is funny. We're going to have this story of these two different people kind of uh, maybe a little touching at, at times and come together. Because I didn't really, I don't watch too many trailers. I just don't go in looking for spoilers, and it's always the best that way. And there's a great line in here where she's talking about killing yourself and he's like you're too young to kill yourself well she's like doesn't anybody isn't anybody know you're gone and he she was like well i was at a concert and i listened to arcade fire and i didn't really want to listen to any other bands he's like so you wanted to kill yourself like just basically saying that this is a stupid reason to kill yourself you don't really have a reason like i do and uh you know as we progress there's a huge turn in this movie that changes everything for me and it the movie went suddenly from like darkly humorous almost like kind of bitterly sad to disturbing and when that happens i thought oh wow 
this is going somewhere I didn't expect. And it started to turn into something kind of reminding me of like eyes of my mother in a way. And uh, it goes on, it turns into like a, a kind of a stalking thing, but I don't want to get into da details about it because there's so many more things in here that are set up that have played out later on and you start to realize more things. And uh, at first I was like, I don't know if I like this, but at the end I was like, oh, this is way too smart not to give credit to be honest. And it's way too bleak not, and also kind of darkly humorous at times to not enjoy, for me at least. And that, and I, when I went back and listened to the commentary, I was saying, oh, yes, yes, yes. And even when I started seeing things again, I was like, okay, that's, this is one of those movies that if you watch, go back and watch the, go back and watch the first like five minutes again, and you'll start to realize where the movie's actually going. And you're like, okay, now I understand a little bit more. The commentary helped with that on, and, and then like, I, I understood, I pretty much got the grasp of it, but the commentary made me like it a little bit better. Um, and, uh, there's also some deleted scenes and all that. The other, and a short, they're very, sh they're, they're very short on there. They're not very much besides the commentary, but it's a very well shot movie because it takes place all in this like forest location and the lake and everything's beautifully shot at, at, at one point. And the opening has all these lockets of people who like killed themselves or died and it's shot in Russia. Really cool stuff too. But, uh, yeah, it, it looks really damn good. Um, all like all the, um, depths and stuff and that, and, and some of the stuff, like somebody walked in and was, saw what I was watching and said, man, everything looks like a painting. And that's a good way to explain it everything does look like a painting but it's it's a really damn good movie and i'd really recommend checking it out especially it's not too expensive and uh you know i like to see wild eye getting in the blu-ray game especially if they're going to be releasing stuff like this because this is well worth your time especially if you enjoy like artsy kind of horror films and um not pretentious and and fairly straightforward in its plot but they don't tell you everything but if you watch more it makes more sense but really cool stuff Okay, the next one I watched is on Netflix. Don't have a copy. It's brand spanking new by the director of The Green Room, Murder Party, Blue Ruined, Hold the Dark. Uh, Jeremy Sardier, or Sardier I, I, I'm a moron. We know this. But uh, Hold the Dark. Uh, this is a movie that takes place in Alaska, which is uh, pretty ballsy for a director to want to shoot. I don't know if they actually shot in Alaska, but I think they did because it looks really cold. Um, has Jeffrey Wright in it, who I haven't seen in a while. He's been working, but I haven't. Um, and it actually took me to look him up, and I was like, oh, my, that's Jeffrey Wright, man. Uh, he's looking pretty grizzled in this movie. Uh, the movie opens up with a woman... Um, Basically, um, seeing her child be, she leaves her kid outside uh, playing, and she checks back, and they're having this problem with wolves, and uh, her kid's taken by wolves. So she calls this writer. She read this story, this book about this uh, guy um, who um, tracked this wolf and had to kill this wolf because it was a, it had killed the child, um, and uh, basically defeat its cubs or whatever. And then she calls him because she doesn't really know what to do. She's strange. She's weird. And uh, Jeffrey Wright gets there, and not everything is com seems right to be honest and this is one of those movies where within that first 15 minutes you have to pay close attention to i watched it and then i i pretty much grasped quite a bit of it i think i and i was like i'm gonna go back and watch some more of this i might watch this a second time and i started watching it and i was like everything's in the first 15 minutes that comes back into the end that's smart and and i saw a criticism that said this movie tries very hard to mean something but it doesn't necessarily mean something. And I don't know if that's true. There's a, a scene. So Jeffrey Wright goes out to, um, meanwhile, the woman's husband is uh, fighting in the war. And you see that he is, um, he's not right either. He, he's not right. If it's, co if it's combat shock or something like that, or post-traumatic stress disorder, or just he was never right, which I'm leaning towards more of that. You realize that this small little area in Alaska 
is kind of desolate and the people are um, have this strange beliefs and strange rituals and keep everything in-house. It's one of those deals. And uh, with the loss of the children happening, it, it, it's kind of hurt this town, but also there's something else going on. Well, Jeffrey Wright goes out to hunt these wolves and he realizes something while he's doing it. And, and when he sees what's happening with the wolves, he understands a lot more about the person who told him to hunt and all the things that she said. So, of course, uh, without spoiling too much, law enforcement gets involved here. And everything gets pretty crazy. Uh, my one complaint about this movie, it's a beautifully well shot movie, and for the most part it's well acted. It's, it's violent, it's bleak, the violence is very bleak, but there's a lot of really stupid cops in this movie, and I just have a hard time believing that Alaskan cops in this harsh wilderness have zero survival skills and zero uh, anything like that, to be honest. They're just, they're just dumb. You might as well just put targets, just have them have targets at, at times. There's just lots of, besides the major characters, there's lots of stupidity to be had here. Um, but besides that, I can't really complain. They try to explain it a little bit by the guy who says they're all green and and I under, I appreciate them trying to explain the stupidity in that one level, but it also they just don't have any survival skills. And and the movie would suggest that this that the, without spoiling too much, that when you do, can't take care of something, you um you you mercy things, and that's all I'm gonna say without it. But it's not a lack of actual goods because somebody has a weapon that would have cost thousands of dollars. It's a lack of moral or uh, psychological good in them or goods in them, not an actual physical food thing uh, without spoiling too much. I, I'm trying to beat around this as much as I can without spoiling it, but it's more of a symbolic emptiness instead of a actual physical emptiness, if that makes sense to me at least. And there is some strange kind of ritualistic stuff going on as well. <laughs> Involving the wolves, involving Native American, not Native American, it would be Inuit heritage if it's Alaska, I believe. Um, correct me, I'm not 100% on that. But um, stuff like that. And, and, and that stuff's kind of interesting, but it also kind of reminds me of, in a way, like the old movies like Death Hunt, where it's like, I'm going to go in this horrible wilderness and we're going to track this person and find them. The violence when it happens is, matter of fact, it's it, it does seem um, like almost over the top because it's so ridiculous at times, and especially with the one scene I was referencing earlier with a, a weapon. But it, I was shocked that the, I haven't seen squibs like that in a long time. And it, it's pretty intense, pretty insane. Um, and at times, people things happen to people you don't expect. Uh, the lead cop in the movie, it's, it's again, it's one of those trope things where it's like, this guy just knows. And it's not, it's, you're beating over the head with what this guy, you know what's going to happen to him within the first three minutes you see him. But I guess that's what it's going for. Jeffrey Wright's magnificent in the movie, and I love that uh, they, they were definitely out in the wilderness. And if they weren't, they did, the set designers or whatever did an amazing job. But I, I got to give it up to Jeffrey Wright in this movie, man. He looked like they went through hell for this. And I know like people would say The Revenant, like a, a good movie's not made because they went through hell. But, man, they really do seem like they went through hell. One of the SARS guards in this, um, he does well. As, um, the, the two, uh, the husband and wife, the Sloan, are both good. But And the cop is a good actor, but uh, I just don't care for his character. But um, uh, he's just kind of a dummy. Uh, and uh, Jeffrey Wright steals the show. Interesting character. <laughs> it's always nice. He's almost like a professor on his horrible mission. But he's, he's better than any of the cops, which I love. But, um, uh, but also kind of makes the cops seem dumb the same time because of that uh, there's this one character and what, what the one cop does when he interacts with this one character who is basically like, keeps calling him guy and he's being very aggressive and he's accused of being involved in something horrible it's just i just would not have given that guy the benefit of the doubt at all the way he goes in there and tries to talk to him in this small community way i'd be like no i'm just gonna burn your house down but i wouldn't make a cop so hey hey you know i know that though that's why i'm probably not a cop um but yeah uh hold the dark um I, I want to see it again. Like I'm right now, I'm at like seven, seven and a half. But I could easily go up, especially like the more I see it, you know. And that uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of Green Room. I, I saw that it was really well made, and again, the violence was shot in a in a, a way that I enjoyed uh, how it was made. But I felt it was very convoluted for what it was, and maybe the hype hurt it. But I love Blue Ruin. I think it's a masterpiece. And Murder Party, I adore. Like I love, 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 love Murder Party. And uh, Blue Ruin, I think, is a masterpiece. Like I said, so um, Green Room, I like, and this one I like more than Green Room, to be honest. I, 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 I think this one's pretty good too. I think it's great actually. But I don't know 100% know 
yet. I really would like to watch this one again. But uh, Hold the Dark on Netflix is an exclusive. It just came out uh, probably last week or so. Dear Mr. Core, three days ago, my son Bailey was taken by wolves. No one in the village will hunt them. My husband will come home from the war soon. I must have something to show him. So you come to kill it? To kill the one that took him? I came to help if I can. To explain this, if I can. It's not the first time people died out there. The hillside is scattered with pieces of bodies. That's what you get when you talk to the villagers. People are dying. That's real enough. Leave us to the devils. You're the one fought my boy? Yes. Can you raise the dead? No, sir. Then I have no questions for her. Never seen anything like this before. The behavioral term is savaging. No. I'm not talking about animals here, Mr. Core. Well, if you say so. Okay, guys, you know what time it is. It's time for the Weekly Western. Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when. This one is part of the Magnificent Seven uh, collection or franchise. This is the Return of the Seven. And, uh, of course, Yul Brenner returns. Unfortunately, the characters of Vin and uh, uh, Chico do return, but it's not played by the same actors. And the replacement for Steve McQueen is probably the film's biggest uh, downfall. You can't replace Steve McQueen. You should have just wrote his character out of the script of somehow he died or he's not in this one and try to get him back in the next one. But, regardless... Not a whole, I feel bad for the guy. It's big shoes to fill. But that's the only weakness I really see in this movie. And, and the idea that it's pretty much going to be a similar plot. Uh, filling up the rest of the Magnificent Seven uh, include this crazy Mexican serial, almost like serial killer guy, um, Claude Ankins, who has a very interesting uh, backstory. Um, uh, who else is in here? A young kid, of course, who they put in here. And the legendary Warren Oates, 
turning in a great performance as a guy who's always getting in trouble with the ladies husbands because he's always getting in he's always getting it with the ladies and he's always getting in trouble with the ladies husbands he's great in this one uh claude ankus is great in this one yul brenner solid as always but uh has the same score as the uh, original movie and uh the baddie in this one is very welcomed it's emilio uh fernandez from such great peckinpah classics as the wild bunch bring me the head of alfredo garcia and pat garrett and billy the kid so also a director he was a mexican director he was a, a very intense guy in real life and that shows. Um, what we have here is this group of banditos uh, who are on this kind of crusade mission, I guess, to uh, capture all these people that refuse to fight for their freedom in their country and uh, make them build this church in honor of Emilio, and, uh, Emilio Fernandez's sons who perished in this fight. Of course, they kidnap Chico which is a no-no in Yul Brenner's eyes, Chris's eyes. So he gets together six guys to go rescue Chico. And with Chico, they form the Return of the Seven. And they have to fight off an army, along with the uh, farmers or the forced uh, migrant, the, the forced slaves, basically, make them slaves, the forced slaves in here. And, uh, yeah, they were farmers. But so, basically, they all team up and they have to fight off this army. Uh, that's pretty much the whole movie. Uh, there's some there's some nice shootouts in here, and there's a couple squibs that go off. Uh, really, it's the performances and the characters and the actors while you watch these a lot of these movies. And uh, I, I got to give it up for a couple great lines in this movie when uh there's this priest who gets involved who got in it for the right things but of course he is kind of corrupted and he feels like he let his people down and he has this very great uh, uh dialogue with chris a uh, yul brenner and uh he says i've let down my people um and uh, this is uh you know just kind of guessed uh, exactly what they say and yul brenner says uh you didn't let him down you let down yourself and he says well he's like i'm not a very religious man but they need you now more than ever at least get up at least get up enough to be on your knees. And that's just a wonderful line. Like, you know, get up enough to pray, at least. And uh, there's a wonderful line of uh, that Warren Oates says uh, when they leave this town where they have none of the men. He's like, we should have stayed behind. All those women are going to, uh, that whole town's going to get behind on their planting and plowing. And uh, somebody says, and so are you. Because he's a, such a like a ladies man, and uh, you know he's just he's wonderful in this movie. And they got the earlier line with the you know the uh, you know that real intense scene with him and Claude Ankins earlier, where he says you talk too much. And at the end, Warnotes is like, you're right, I do talk too much. He says that to Chris. But uh, you know I'm a big Warnotes fan. I think that he is amazing, and it's one of those actors I saw around for years, like younger, and I didn't register exactly who it was when I started putting two to do together and seeing him pop up more. I was like, oh, this guy is so good, and. Uh, and other people pointing them out too. Maybe you don't realize, like, there's an actor you see for so many years and you don't put two and two together and you're like, oh, the guy's in all this stuff and he's so good. Like, you know, like a Richard Lynch. Again, I'm going to name that one. And guys like that, they're just in so many different movies. But uh, yeah. Uh, enjoyed this one pretty decently. Um, uh, Steve McQueen's character, Vin, it's not, I don't even know the guy, Steve McQueen's replacement. So I keep calling him Steve McQueen's uh, character, even though it's not Steve McQueen, but Vin, uh, you know, he has a reasoning kind of uh, why he's doing it as well. They all do. But uh, it's fairly solid. I like Emilio, and, uh, Emilio as the villain. He's good. And uh, his uh, moments with Chris are good. But it does feel very pulpy. Like, everybody knows everybody. Remember the opening of Tombstone when they land in Tombstone? They're like, Doc Wyatt, when uh, Turkey Creek Johnson and uh, uh, Texas Jack Vermillion, they, they bump into him and they like, everybody knows everybody. Hey, Doc, hey, why? It's just like, come on, guys. And, and that's just a Western trope. And it's in here, too, where it's like, well, that's so-and-so. And I know him, and he knows me, and we know everybody. Uh, that's just that happens a lot in this movie. Like, nothing can happen with coincidence. Everything is there for a reason, you know, just that legend mythos, that Western legend mythos. And that's what Return to Seven is. And it's fun. And it's entertaining, and it's got some good cast here in the moments. And I love Claude Ankin's backstory, and he's good in it too. He's that he's good at that like big, scary, silent type kind of guy, like a Clint Walker, but you know, not as big and scary, but big and scary enough. But I like his backstory. Uh, kind of got a uh, John Wayne, uh, Ethan uh, uh, Searchers thing going on with him. But uh, yeah, Return to Seven, cool stuff. No features of it on there, just a trailer, but uh, I enjoyed it. It's pretty cool stuff. Seven, seven, seven. They rode into screen history in the Magnificent Seven. Now they ride on to greater adventure in Return of the Seven. They 
seven against 200. And the odds grew greater every second. Chris, the strong one, bigger than any fight he ever started. You're either a very stupid or a very brave man, senor. One word from me and you would be dead. That'll make two of us. Five Winchesters pointed at your head. Ben, the kind of man who fights best when the cause is good and the odds are not. Chico, he's a man of peace today, but violence is in his past and his future. Colby, violent, virile, he kills many men and that leaves many women. Luis, rough, roguish, spending his life like it was going out of style. That is his last request. Do you mind if I escape first thing in the morning? Frank, a man makes himself what he has to be, even if it's a target. I heard him talking out there. Lorca sent for help. Come tomorrow, he's going to have 200 guns, maybe more. And he's not going to settle for just us, Chris. He wants them all dead. Manuel, quick, wild, untamed. A boy who was born to be reckless and made to be lawless. to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Okay, guys, now we're going to be into the VHS voyage. I don't have a VHS for this one, but I have a bootleg from Twisted Anger. Auntie Lee's Meat Pies. Yes, to fall into that long legacy of dark comedy cannibal movies like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, Eating Raul, and now Auntie Lee's... Oh, but Sweeney Todd, and now Auntie Lee's Meat Pies. Um, yeah, this has Karen Black, um, uh, Michael Berryman, and uh, Pat Morita in it. Yeah, so it's got some familiar faces in there. There's a couple other familiar faces on the kind of cider characters. And this is uh, follows... Uh, Auntie Lee and her four uh, um, cousins or five uh, nieces and uh, them making meat pies. Uh, Miracle Berryman plays their kind of uh, her brother who's this uh, half-wit um, uh, kind of a weird kind of guy who cleans up for them. Pat Morita plays the local sheriff who's kind of a strange guy as well. And uh, there is a story uh, with this uh, P.I. trying to find this missing guy who of course got turned into meat pies. Everybody loves the meat pies. That's the plot of the movie. It's very silly. It's very goofy. Karen Black is off, uh, out to lunch, as uh, Willie Picton would say. Uh, if anybody listened to the last podcast and I left. But uh, definitely out to lunch in this one. Uh, she reminds me definitely of a character that she would play later on in House of a Thousand Corpses, but a little bit more serious in that one. Uh, Michael Berryman's really good in this one. He's uh, likable even if he is crazy and uh, disposing of bodies and whatnot. Um, and the opening of this movie starts off super violent like and crazy. Like I was like, we're in for some crazy sleazy stuff here. We have this uh, guy who uh, basically his car breaks down, he's flipping out, he pulls a priest over, stops him, kills the priest, that car crashes, he shoots him while he's driving, and then he goes to rob this other girl, rapes her, the girl kills him, takes him back, he gets turned to pies. And I was like, that's a huge, this is like the first 10 minutes. And I was like, this movie's going to be nuts. And then it kind of slows down for quite a bit doesn't it's not as graphic and it gets really weird what i like about this movie is the set designs are wonderful like and uh they're great like when they go in the house and they uh start to they pick off this uh this metal band which is filled with the very annoying characters and they all kind of isolate them and take them in their own room and they all get killed in weird different ways and the set designs in there are very colorful very bright um and this does kind of remind me of something like house of a thousand corpses but this again is kind of a texas chainsaw ripoff and it's in its own way so we have that going for it 
as Hostiles of Corpse is kind of a Texas Chainsaw ripoff, as in every movie that came after probably is too. But, uh, you know, so it has that thing going for it. It does kind of remind me of that. Uh, the acting is fun and campy and goofy and uh you know Berryman shines uh Morita's good too and it's weird seeing him in something like this and Karen Black is off her rocker the girls are all uh Auntie Lee's nieces are all you know their acting ranges they're all very good looking and some of them show skin uh I do wish this movie should have been more gratuitous in the nudity department because it is so like it's so oversexed and so like that underlining like sex kind of deal because they get all the guys in with I just think that there probably should have been a little bit more sex and nudity in the movie for what it is I think it would have been much better uh, and you know if I could see this in like a nice HD print I think those colors would pop in the sets but besides that it, it's kind of run of the mill goofy uh, late 80s early 90s kind of horror comedy deal um, it's not perfect it has its moments and uh, it's very zany and very weird and it definitely feels very from that time of the late 80s early 90s I, w I would like to see you know a nice uh, um uh, you know, remaster of it, but I, I don't know. It's probably not in the cards for this one. But uh, Auntie Lee's Meat Pies, if you like the weird and goofy, um, I would check it out. I think that you might have some fun with it. Aha, mm -hmm. uh -huh, here it is. Along. To serve and protect, that's my motto, Carl. What's your problem here? Well, I got a flat tire, and gosh, there seems to be no air in my spare. Bummer. Jump on in, I'll take you home. Okay, guys, the pick a movie this week was from Derek uh, Boisier, and he wanted me to do uh, the Jimmy Glakenhouse uh, Shakedown from Scream from Shout Factory with the legendary Sam Elliott and Peter Weller. Man, Peter Weller is weird. Like I know he, I like him in movies like of Unknown Origin or RoboCop or Leviathan. I think he's in as well. And this one, he's just a strange guy. His acting choices—they're not bad at all—but his acting choices are just so bizarre. And no, no one acts like Peter Weller. He's a very unique actor, and uh, he's not—he's not one of my all-time favorites or anything, but just very unique. Always like Sam Elliott. He's doing the grizzled kind of—you know—I'm a cop, but I'm not. You know, I do my own thing kind of deal. Uh, Jimmy Glickenhouse was a producer and director. He produced a lot of stuff for Frank Hennelotter, like uh, Frank and Hooker, Basket Case 2 and 3, and some other movies too. He also directed um, The Soldier, which I'm not familiar with, but I have the Blu-ray, and Exterminator, which I've always liked. Uh, nice little revenge, gritty crime movie. Um, exploitation deal. But Shakedown, uh, this was made in the late 80s, and this is a this is a pretty big movie. Like I said, it's got a nice cast in here. A lot of uh, side actors who are pretty good as well. You got uh, Anthony Fargus from The Borrower. And is it he in Coffee or is he in, um, what's the other one, Coffee and uh, Foxy Brown? He's in one of those. I can't remember exactly. He plays the druggy brother. Uh, who else pops up in this one? Larry Joshua. Glazer from The Burning. Uh, that's Glazer from The Burning playing an asshole again. Big asshole. Real big asshole. Um, and um, uh, Thomas Waite, uh, White, how do you say his name? He pops up in Oz, and he's most notably known probably from this pod, uh, this uh, video or this review from um, like The Thing. From People know him from The Thing. He plays Windows. Um, it's funny that he's in Oz, and so is uh, the guy who played Boos Mollis is in this movie too, who is in Oz. So we got two Oz alumni, the TV show from HBO. But uh, Shakedown. Uh, it's got a nice, interesting story about corrupt cops, you know, stealing from drug dealers and whatnot. 
And uh, we have uh, Peter Weller, who plays a defense attorney, you know, basically having to uh, represent anybody because he's the low man on the totem pole. He's doing his, uh, you know, the, the all lawyers start. They have to represent, you know, public attorneys, public appointment appointed lawyers. So that's basically what he's doing. And uh, he has this cop killer on his hands. And he realizes that this guy, he doesn't think his client's guilty, that this cop was one of these guys who was going to kill the drug dealer and take the money because these cops, you know, are crooked. Uh, Sam Elliott is a cop on the force that wants to expose the whole thing his way and him and Peter Weller team up and they run amok around the town causing things to explode causing innocent people to be killed at any moment even blowing up things which I don't want to say exactly spoiling the ending where innocent people are killed but it's all okay because it's the late 80s and uh, you know they don't care about stuff like that so in one breath it's very gritty it's filmed in New York you see like the nasty streets and whatnot and when people die you're like oh that's pretty rough and, and you feel serious about it and then the other breath when there's these giant explosions and innocent and bystanders getting shot and whatnot. It, 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 you don't care. Nobody cares. Nobody has repercussions. So it's really kind of almost goofy in that sense as well. So it's it's a movie that definitely wouldn't be made, like Jimmy Glickenhaus says on the features. It wouldn't be made today. It, no, most definitely would not be made today for those reasons and uh, and many other reasons because you can't film in New York anymore like this and then you wouldn't want to film New York to make it look gritty like this. But uh, basically it um, has these two guys trying to crack this case open and they have to fight the dirty cops and the gangsters and whatnot, drug dealers. And part, somewhat part case, um, uh, you know, um, what is it, courtroom drama thing going on uh, with Peter Weller's ex, uh, you know, uh, girlfriend working across from him, and he's going to get married to this other girl and get a better job because her father's in it. There's that whole drama dilemma going on, too, with Peter Weller. Eh, I don't know if that works too well. It's okay, though. Um, but... <laughs> they make uh, you want to like Peter Waller by making his actual fiance very kind of annoying, or uh, even though she really isn't, she's just kind of weird, and because uh, she's neglected, and then make his it, it's that whole storyline does not do any uh, Peter Waller's characters any favors, to be honest. Uh, Sam Elliott, you know, he pretty much the grizzled kind of guy, like he always plays. He's enjoyable. Uh, the action set pieces are amazing with the roller coaster going off the tracks and things like that and uh, shooting in the streets, cars like driving through the streets crazily and uh, giant things exploding. Got to give it up for that. The movie had a budget and they weren't afraid to use it and I love seeing that stuff and it's just they got guts. And like uh, he's the, the director says in the features, you know, they just don't do that. They don't do their own stunts and I agree. It's just, it's not exciting watching a CGI like blob fly across the screen like, oh, back in the day you'd be like, that's dangerous. That guy almost almost died. I know that it's safer now, but it takes the excitement out of it for me. And uh, this movie has excitement. It has excitement in spades. Um, there's some, Peter, uh, I just thought, uh, was that David Pivotal or Pivotal play, it pops up in this one as well. Um, that that's uh, weird because I bet it, uh, you know, it, it, he uh, pops up in uh, Street Trash too. I don't know if Glickenhouse produced that, but Street Trash has uh, one of the guys from Frankenhooker in it. And uh, so I, it's just like that weird Jimmy Glickenhouse connection thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm jumping, jumping here and there. But, you know, that's how I wonder. But I, I enjoyed it. I thought that uh, some of the things I said about, you know, people just getting wasted and exploding things and no repercussions. They don't, they, maybe they didn't want to shoehorn in that angry chief who's like, You're, you know, the stereotypical character. They even make fun of it and stuff like a last action hero. I'm, there's a lot of stereotypical cops in these movies, in these, these reviews today, you know. But uh, and movie cop, movie stereotypical cops. Like, I'm getting too old for this shit. I'm just uh, going to stay here and get shot or and, and now i'm talking about the angry chief who's not in this movie there should have been angry chief to you know grill sam elliott uh, but maybe that's just even they didn't want to add that little thing in there but there is a commentary on here um there's an interview with jimmy glickenhouse which is nice to see and he talks uh it tells an interesting story about miles davis which is pretty funny um but yeah uh i like uh, exterminator much better but i think this one's interesting and i think it's uh you know Kind of a nice little uh, time capsule from that. And seeing the New York City is pretty cool as well. One thing I promise not to do in this courtroom is to pretend to you that I am representing Snow White for a client. An overworked lawyer. Once upon a time, all I plan to do is play the tennis axe forever. An undercover cop. This gun is clean. No serial numbers. They're up against a city where the bad guys have taken over. My client will make bail. And the good guys are the worst of all. You cops, you're the best that money can buy. Fifty K a month in evidence disappears. 
taking down an army? I don't know yet. Hang on tight, partner. Oh, I see. The ride gets rougher than this. You betcha. The way I like it. You better watch out. I can roll with anything you put out, buddy. Who are you looking for? Can you handle this, or is this too real for you? Peter Weller. You're gonna miss me when I'm gone, babe. Sam Elliott. Oh, I know what you're thinking. I'm old and slow. Shake down. Whatever you do, don't call the cops. Okay, guys, I still haven't got many answers on if you guys want me to uh, start just draw this bag out till it's completely over for the pick a movie. And it, like, let me tell you what the pick a movie is in case there's a new listener or something. The pick a movie is basically you ask me to review something, I put your name in the bag, you stay in the bag till you're drawn, you get drawn, you tell me the movie to review, I review it the following week. That's the pick a movie. But I'm thinking about actually starting a second bag and I'll put new bag on it and uh, everybody will be drawn out of this bag. And when this bag is empty, I'll go to the new bag, and you can re-enter into the new bag after you're drawn out of this bag, if that makes sense. Because I feel like some of the people are getting a little upset that they're not getting drawn out of here. Let me know if I get more than a few answers to read to do that. I will, but I'm not really getting much feedback on it, to be honest. So, uh, Rick Peters won last time, and he picked a movie called Aftermath from 1985, which I think is a Belgium movie. But uh, let's see who's going to win this time. Oh. I had one. I got one. Who is it? James Grimmer, who's won a bunch of times already. That's going to make some people unhappy. But, uh, okay. Like I said, there's a lot of people in the bag. But, James Grimmer, let me know what you want me to review, buddy. Uh, you always pick pretty cool stuff. So, Okay, uh, what are we going to hop into next? I'm going to answer the questions that were... Uh, um, asked for me and we only have Nick, some Nick Newell questions today he says have you ever had a nightmare right after watching a particular film I had a Freddy-esque nightmare dream once fell out of a window and woke up because I actually fell out of the bed um you know uh well, you mentioned Freddy Krueger but I used to have Freddy Krueger dreams nightmares all the time when I was a little kid you know I had I told one so many I had that one just one that happened that was so uh vibrant to me that I retold it and I even remember it too I, I remember Freddy Krueger at the end got Crushed between two semi-trucks in the middle of the street. But, uh, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street always did that to me. Yeah, it always used to give me nightmares. And I don't even know if I was watching them. It was just like Freddy was always around, so I'd have nightmares because of him. Uh, have you spoken about film historians doing commentary tracks? Do you have um, any favorite ones? Uh, the guys who do the Peckinpah stuff are cool, if I remember. Uh, is it Nick Redman? And, but the ones I enjoy I, uh, are uh, David Dakota and David Duvall. They're very fun, and uh, they're, they're enjoyable as well. But we got Tim Lucas is also fantastic. I like Troy Horworth as well. And uh, there's some other people in there that pop up that I really enjoy. But those are the ones that come to mind, really right off the top of my head what's more creepy uh why the killer knowing why the killer kills or not knowing depends on the movie um back in the day there was something to be said about uh, the nihilistic approach of uh halloween or nihilistic approach of halloween not knowing why he was doing it and the sequels kind of hurt that but uh i don't know it depends it all depends uh to be honest and how the movie's done and both can be creepy it just depends is the movie actually creepy or not um you know, uh, is it scarier to know why a serial killer does it or doesn't? I would take that as the fact. Sometimes you start to dig deeper why they did it, and it, it becomes more interesting, but it's still disturbing. So I don't know. Okay, the answers. Uh, last week I asked if uh, anybody, uh, what if you could name one movie from 2018 that you would recommend. Just one movie from 2018. Okay, we got the answers. We got H. Hudson says Upgrade. Nick Mua says Black Panther. Peek and Boo says Ghostland by Pascal uh, Laguerre. Sorry. Uh, John Wilhelm says I Remember You. I know you don't like ghost movies, but it's a solid movie. That's what he says. Ben Miller, Upgrade Again. James Grimmer, Office Uprising. Uh, Peter Engelin, Hereditary. So we got some on there. I've seen Hereditary and uh, 
that's it. That's the only one I've seen out of there. I have Upgrade. I, I, I have it on uh, Voodoo. I purchased it, so I could check that one out anytime. I remember you. I think that was a Shout Factory release, right, John Willem, if I'm uh, Scream Factory, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, IFC Scream Factory release. Okay, which leads me into the question of the week, which also is going to involve the prize. Uh, this prize will be not uh, pulled for next week. It will be pulled for the week after. And it will be a separate bag from the Pick a Movie. But I need to know... Uh, you guys to win two movies from Severin. Uh, they sent a couple long, some couple extras. Now these were screeners, so they have the UPCs punched. But uh, to win a copy of Anthropophagus on Blu-ray and Absurd on Blu-ray, which actually comes with the soundtrack, which is very cool. Here's what all you have to do: is like the Severin Facebook page one, and tell me your favorite Severin uh, release and why. What is your favorite Severn release and why? And you leave that comment under the YouTube video or under the Screaming Toilet page. If you do that, I will enter you in a bag. It won't be drawn next week for the prize. It will be drawn the following week. So the next you'll have two weeks to enter. And remember, I do these shoot these Sundays. So not uh, next week, but the, the following Sunday. Not next Sunday, but the following Sunday is what you'll have time to do this for. So uh, to win Absurd and Anthropophagus, the Joe Diamato double feature. Uh, yeah, they do have the UPCs cut, punched, so uh, remember that. But that's all you have to do is tell me, uh, like the Severn Facebook page, and tell me your favorite Severn release and why it's your favorite, okay? Um, and that's it, guys. Let's hop into the update. Okay, guys, let's hop into the update. We have uh, Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, in 4K and comes with the Blu-ray. Uh, written by Craig Zuller and directed by the guys who did Wither. I reviewed this a little bit ago. I really enjoyed it. Uh, really super sloppy uh, final act, but yeah, it's bloody. And I saw somebody say it doesn't do anything that the other Puppet Master movies don't do. This is nothing like the other Puppet Master movies. It's, it's nothing like them. But uh, Matinee from uh, Screen Factory. I jumped on this, got it for a good price. Joe Dante. Never seen this one. John Goodman. Sounds very fun. Love John Goodman. Love Joe Dante. We got The Strangers from Scream Factory as well. You know, I never saw The Strangers. Uh, somebody I used to watch a lot of videos of and knew pretty well back in the day uh, hated this movie with the passions that turned me off on it. But, you know, I've heard mostly good things besides that. And I don't know why I never, uh, you know, went out and grabbed it. But I'm glad I waited because I got it for a good price from, from Scream. Uh, Bat People. It went down to the right price for me. I wasn't going to pay top dollar for Bat People. It doesn't look like something I'll love, but uh, it looks like it can be fun. Uh, hopefully it's better than Twilight People. We have Full Moon High by, um, uh, who did this one? Uh, Larry Cohen directed this one. Uh, never seen it. I remember they did a really funny Just the Disc uh, with on this one, and uh, made me want to see it. So, Comedy werewolf movie. Nightmare at Noon. I saw half of this about 15 years ago. Brian James, Wiz Hazard, Hauser, and Bo Hopkins. Come on, guys, by Nico Makarakis. So, yeah, right price on this one. Uh, wanted to get this Blu-ray. The Beast. Heard good things. I know Elric Kane talked about this movie on Pod uh, Pure Cinema, was it? And uh, my friend Ryan Logsdon said it was excellent. So, uh, definitely going to be checking this one out. The Beast. Uh, finally, it's a long time, but Raro finally released the Blu-ray of The Secret of Dorian Gray with Helmut Berger and Herbert Lom. Uh, I saw this years ago. I reviewed their DVD of it. I loved this movie back in the day, and I'm excited to revisit it. Um, Helmut Berger plays a great Dorian Gray, and I love the story of Dorian Gray. Uh, you know, the idea of like living like young looking beautiful forever but kind of aging on the inside the painting resembles that like kind of turning rotten i like that story and i love this movie and it's really sleazy and i dig it cannibal run with burt reynolds i've never seen this never saw his two biggest movies you know that i've seen like deliverance which is a great movie and stuff like that but i never saw cannibal run so i went ahead and grabbed it and uh went ahead and grabbed smoking the bandit too which is one i've been wanting to see for like 20 years but yeah, I never saw this movie. It's got a broken case, which is very sad to me. I just realized that. Very sad. Broken case up top. But I can replace the case. Ugh. Not a rip. Just a broken case. But Smokey and the Bandit. Be happy to check that one out finally. Another one that uh, I'm embarrassed to say I've never seen. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I know, right? That's freaking embarrassing. 
it's been bastardized and parodied so many times. I'm sure I've seen it like that, but uh, I really got to watch this one. Butterfingers over here. Fumbalaya. Then we got uh, some uh, bootlegs here that my friend made me for my birthday. The Star Wars Despecialized Editions. A New Hope, of course. The theatrical original versions. Empire Strikes Back. And the last, Return of the Jedi. I haven't seen these since I've been a kid, so I'm very excited to finally, if I can open this, finally check these out. But yeah, I loved the Star Wars movies as a kid, but uh, you know, it lost a lot of flame, like, you know, flavor when they did those new ones. I liked them then, but when I go try to back and rewatch them now, I always laugh at the CGI. And then last is a DVD called Alien Thunder by Scorpion. This has been out of print for a long time, but uh, I found it somewhere, and I jumped on it right away. Still sealed. Didn't pay much for it. Donald Sutherland. Looks like a strange movie. There's some Mill Creek editions floating around, but I wanted the Scorpion. Now that I found this cheap, that probably means it's coming to Blu-ray somewhere sometime. But, uh, yeah, thank you very much for watching, guys. Uh, back to the video. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for watching, and as always, you guys have a good one. Hey.